Welcome back into episode number two of game week number four on Penn State's 2022 football schedule. I am Tyler Donahue. You'll hear from Daniel Gowan, our colleague at Lions 24-7, in just a little bit. We are fresh out of James Franklin's press conference on a Tuesday. Also had a chance to hear from some Penn State players over the courses. Uh, game four, Central Michigan, not quite the buzz uh, as we had at when Auburn was on the forecast last week. But we're not quite done with those Tigers just yet and what happened last Saturday Spent a lot of time on our Monday episode and the post-game podcast Saturday night, breaking down our thoughts on the storylines and, and players and everything else that emerged when Auburn fell to Penn State 41-12. to This time, let's bring in some perspective from our friend Josh Pate. Hopefully, you are well familiar with his coverage, the late kick with Josh Pate. Uh, he has been a staple of our 24-7 sports package for college football season, and all year long, Josh is bringing the good stuff. But you are fresh off of uh, an experience down at Auburn that I don't think you exactly saw what you anticipated. Um, I want to get everything and more from you. But first off, so happy to have you back. Yeah, man. I'm happy to be here. This time last year, we were we were talking in a very, what would you say, Tyler, like a guardedly optimistic tone about the mm -hmm. upcoming season. No, no one can forecast injuries, of course. So then we fast forward a year. We're coming out of the Auburn game. So we've got Purdue and Auburn already in the bag. And... I think if you and I were talking, let's say, in late August, and we were looking and we could guarantee those two wins, we could guarantee a 3-0 and start, and we could guarantee that pieces like Nick Singleton are falling into place, and we've seen Drew Aller take several snaps already, and we feel really good about Tinsley, you know, um, acclimating. There's the word I'm looking for with the receiver room. Man, how excited would we think we, we would be? And it's actually right now, this is how excited we would think we would be if we said all that in late August. So it was a good weekend. And it was also, I know you guys have talked about it a lot on the board there at Lions 24-7, but every fan that I spoke to that was in a white t-shirt, number one, I feel is kind of a kindred spirit with me, not this morning, but in general. And number two, they spoke glowingly about the experience, uh, just like the Auburn folks did when they went up there last year. And those are memory games, man. Like all due respect to Central Michigan, if you've got a ticket stub to that game this Saturday, it's unlikely you're talking about that game a decade from now. But a lot of people will be talking about the trip down to beautiful, picturesque Lee County, Alabama, a decade from now. And so it was it was really good to be a part of, weather cooperated and all that. And so it was really good because I saw a lot of folks that I saw last year. I met a lot of new folks and we got to see a great pregame environment. And then you guys went and just blew it all to you know what during the game. Well, for those folks who don't remember, we did have Josh on the podcast before the Auburn matchup last year and after the Auburn matchup. And in between, he was in Beaver Stadium soaking up with sights and sounds and, and recording some of the most impressive footage from that event. And I know it's something that you still share from time to time on social media. But Josh, let's focus on, on what took place at Jordan-Hare Stadium on Saturday. And let's start here. When you woke up on Saturday and thought what you knew about Penn State football versus when you woke up this morning and examine your thoughts on this Nittany Lions football program. How do they compare and contrast? Well, so I all I had to go on, and all really any of us had to go on, aside from just blind hope, is what we've seen from them in the past and the, the identity of the Penn State program in the past. I think Franklin was 19 and 18 on the road during his time at Penn State going into this game at Auburn this past Saturday. And as you well know, and as the folks listening and watching well know, the times that Penn State has been able to go on the road and get those key wins, they've been knife fights. It's been like the Purdue game in week one. It's been like Wisconsin in week one of last year. And it's just been something where you feel like even sitting on your couch, 
you just took several body blows and you got a cut on your cheek. It just feels like you fought so much for a win on the road. So I'm sitting there thinking to myself, unfamiliar environment, really good talent roster for Auburn, not at the quarterback position, but I just thought it was a game that they could muck up to the, to the degree that with home crowd, it had one possession either way, screaming all over it. And then we get in the game and, it's not that the first quarter necessarily told the tale, but as you start to realize, wow, Penn State looks bigger, they look faster, they look stronger, which I'll get back to in a second, surprised me a little bit, I think. But as you started to realize, well, there they go, 13-6, and there they go stretching a three-score lead, and it's in the half. I went down the tunnel and, and was near their locker room for the half, which is an experience in and of itself because the Auburn locker room is not big enough to really fit everything. So you have spillage kind of out into the – the, the bowels and the concourse there under Jordan-Hare Stadium, uh, which is home field advantage. I mean, that's what going on the road in college football is like. But they never blinked. They go right back out there, and it's just you're watching it in real time, and you're saying, this is Penn State? Like, this is this what Penn State's going to be this year, or is this an aberration? Now, to some degree, we still can't answer that. I've got my suspicion that this is a different kind of team. I, I know that if you're going to counter that, we have to wait down the road, and we have to see how things play out. But I, I thought it was so impressive. These people, I mean, some of these fools who will come at you and say, well, Auburn's a bad team, so that doesn't really matter. Penn State has struggled against bad teams on the road in the past. They have struggled to get a one-possession or ten-point win. So this is what the good teams do to bad teams on the road. They just they toss them in a bag, and they toss them to the side. They empty out stadiums. That's what Penn State did. They emptied out a road stadium in the SEC, no less. But to go back to the point about Clifford, I thought, uh, and I know you guys have talked about this too, the perfect encapsulation of that game was him just being depleted. On mm-hmm. It was either the first drive or it was somewhere early in the first quarter. And not only does he QB sneak the next play, but also there, there, was, never, there was never the reaction you thought you were going to get. I was standing right there on the sideline. I was really near where that hit happened. I think, number one, he's coming out of the game. We're about to see Oller go in, and they're going to have to run some very condensed version of what their game plan was. And not only did he not come out, but they just they just pick up. If you didn't see the play, if you got up and went to the bathroom or something, you didn't see the play, you wouldn't have even known it happened, Tyler. And you would not have even known that that Auburn, you know, got one of the first big blows in that game because it was it was deemed irrelevant. So my takeaway from it is that didn't feel like a normal Penn State team. It felt very abnormal to what we've seen historically under Franklin. And hopefully, if we look back on it at season's end we mark that as sort of a turning point. You mentioned Sean Clifford and that encounter with Owen Papo. And and yeah, you're right. I mean, if you stepped away and came back, you wouldn't have even realized it happened. And that is shocking because it was one of the biggest hits I've seen in a college football field. And five hours later, Sean Clifford standing out there by himself under those bright lights in the stadium, it's emptied out. And he's just taking a moment to reflect, it seems, before he hits the exit door with Penn State. And this is a 24-year-old, six-year senior, four-time team captain who's got probably half the fan base hoping that he spends a lot of these games on the sidelines so they can get a look at Drew Aller, the five-star freshman who's done some really nice things in abbreviated work. But he comes out of this game, eight total touchdowns, one intercept, one turnover on the year so far through three games, a 3-0 record, a career-high completion percentage, and obviously he's got the moxie. So what do you think about Sean Clifford, a guy who's now started 36 career games, and his ability to maybe carry Penn State or at least help carry that load toward a college football playoff contention? No, oh, I'm glad you I'm glad you kind of redirected the phrasing there because he doesn't have to carry them. It, it, it right. is it is a help carry them situation. 
I've thought the conversation around him nationally has been pretty ignorant and pretty unfounded because the con- it's, it's the feast or famine stuff that I detest. It's either he could go to New York City at the end of the year for a Heisman, and if you don't fit into that conversation, you're trash. And the reality is most guys don't fit into that conversation. Sean Clifford's not a Heisman-worthy quarterback, but he's not trash either. And here's what I think people either have already started to notice or will start to notice. If he's upright, if he's healthy, um, and if you actually have the luxury of a ground game, then all of a sudden there are a whole lot of other tumblers offensively that just kind of fall into place. Sean Clifford wasn't a radically different player Saturday than we've seen during his time at Penn State. What he was was a player that had a radically different circumstance around him. He's got guys in the backfield, and he's got guys hopefully now uh, and moving forward on the line of scrimmage that can open holes to where it doesn't have to be third and eight all afternoon. It doesn't have to be, let's see Sean make a play. How about let's see Sean hand it off and this dude over here make a play or this dude over there make a play. And all of a sudden, then when you need him to make a play, because you don't have 11 folks and an entire defensive staff solely focused on him because they know there's nothing else in the offensive arsenal, then all of a sudden he does make plays. Like that's Penn State's, it has always been the blueprint for them to win as long as he's been there. He, the answer is, Tyler, he's been plenty good enough to win for Penn State. Sometimes the facets around him haven't always been good enough. You don't have to be Bryce Young for me to say that about you. You have to be dependable. You have to be a good decision maker. You have to be able to deliver the football. You have to be able to operate the offense. He can do all those things. And I also noticed what you talked about after the game. Uh, I, I remember back when Butch Jones was at Tennessee and they went into Georgia and they almost won a game. I was out there doing some post game. I was doing local news at the time and I was doing some post game hits for our package the next day. And I was all alone, I thought, in the stadium. And, and this face pops out of the tunnel. And it's Butch Jones. And he's just standing. He's all alone. His security's not even with him. And he's just standing there. And he's kind of looking around. And he was just soaking it in. He just wanted to get three or four minutes, maybe, of just silence after what they'd gone through that day. That's kind of what Sean Clifford did. He wasn't totally alone, but that was what he did. He kind of he soaked it in. It helps to have a little maturity about you, have a little perspective. You've been through the wars. You understand 10 years from now, I'm going to miss this. Let me soak it in. Let me try and take these mental images and postcards with me. But yeah, I think they're plenty good enough with him as long as what we've seen with that offensive line and running game and and now the acclimation of the wide receiver core, as long as that is able to be bottled up and carried with them, it's not feast or famine at quarterback for Penn State. You've got the Sean Clifford who's been around forever and then Nick Singleton who showed up to campus in January as an early enrollee started generating buzz as soon as they hit the weight room and those workouts and it hasn't slowed since and now we're seeing it come to fruition on the football field in a big way. I already saw a 24-7 sports conversation about him being a dark horse Heisman candidate and it's like wow it's mid-September and everyone knows about Nick Singleton. We wondered how long it would take for that to, to reach the national level of conversation Auburn was clearly the springboard after he had a big game against Ohio the week before. Josh, you saw him in person. What does Penn State have in this freshman running back? Well, he doesn't look like a freshman. And he he I've I've been around Bama and Georgia a lot. So I've seen their freshman classes come in. And it always it's always sort of a rite of passage when you cover them and you go to an early season game with them. First thing you want to do is get down on the field during warm-ups and you just you, you behold their freshmen because they look like they're 22, 23 years old. They look like they're rookies in the NFL. That's what Nick Singleton looks like. It's how he carries himself. It's how he plays. 
I Lance, you know, Lance is producing this thing right now. He can tell you in those slack rooms when they try and get me to give takes in September on the Heisman, I just ignore everyone because that's <laughs> foolishness. So I'm not contributing to that portion of the conversation uh, because it's meaningless in September and October. And I don't even get into it in November, really. But I think that when we were doing our signing day show and Penn State had wrapped up their class and we were doing some superlatives, I remember asking, I think it was Wolfong. I asked Steve Wolfong, which player in this class, give me some players in this class that have the lowest bust potential. And Singleton was a guy, not only Wolfong, but pretty much everyone circled because they knew what, what we're looking at physically here, there's zero doubt. It will immediately translate, not only translate, it will at a high level translate to the college game. So the only two questions you ever had about him were character and there's no character issue with him at all or injury. Those were the only two things that were ever going to spell bust for Nick Singleton. So those, uh, thankfully, have not cropped up. And he is now a guy that you're going to see get a lot more national run. I think it'll probably be the Ohio State game before the entire country becomes familiar with his name just because of the way national attention works. But, yeah, if you're a Penn State fan, you got a smile on your face because everyone's starting to say now what you were saying amongst yourselves even in spring and summer. And, and he's the headliner, but this freshman class, you throw in Drew Aller, who's not as much of a factor on the field, but he's looming. But four total touchdowns. Katron Allen had a couple on Saturday as well. Two sacks from the freshman class. Mitchell Tinsley, a transfer addition, out there as a, as a, as a safety net and, and, and a go-to target for Sean Clifford for three games. Chop Robinson doing a lot of damage off the edge. This is the new – this is college football. I mean, you need instant impact guys, whether it's freshman class – transfer portal they're blending it with a veteran roster in some aspects but what do you think about the way james franklin thus far playing seven freshmen at least in all three of the games um has kind of managed some of the, the nuances of his roster well it's not just coincidence he knows what he's doing that's very much by design uh, i've always thought it well always is a relative term during the transfer portal era i thought teams like penn state which are kind of off the radar when we're in this conversation, they were the ones that could be the biggest beneficiary. Arkansas is another program that I thought could be one of the big beneficiaries. The reason is because when you've got guys in the portal, Tyler, the priorities are not the same. Not every kid cares about geography anymore. Not every kid cares about staying close to home anymore. They've gotten the college experience out of the way. So all the basically all the ornaments have come off the tree. Now they just want to they want to be part of the tree. They want to be part of the best tree. And Penn State's got a very solid program. And I also think that they're only helping themselves right now because you talked about Chop, you talked about Tinsley. They are bringing guys in. They're not they're not missing on the guys they take from the portal. They're bringing them in and you can now take proof of performance out into the portal recruiting in future classes and say, "Look, here's here's what kind of program we already are. We're proven." Here are the guys we've brought in. Here's what they've done. You've already tried it elsewhere. Now, why don't you come here? Okay, it may be it may be a smidge or two colder come November than you're comfortable with, but here's what else you can be comfortable with that matters a whole lot more than the temperature outside. We win. And you're coming here because you probably come from a place where either they don't win or you didn't get what you were promised. So, I mean, I'm not going to promise you play in time, but I can promise you an opportunity with a rock-solid organization. That kind of pitch works, not always in high school recruiting, but disproportionately more so it works in the portal. And so Penn State, if you can just recruit the high school ranks like they have been doing, and then you can sprinkle from the portal, 
like I think they have and will do, it's going to set them up. And Penn State has not been far away, especially if you've got quarterback now and in the future already taken care of. They haven't been far away, Tyler. It hasn't been wholesale changes that have been needed. It's been little tweaks and adjustments here and there. For all we know, the portal is that tweak, is that adjustment for them to all of a sudden go from being a program at one caliber to a program that climbs another rung or two up the ladder. We talked a lot about what happened on offense on Saturday, but I think defensively they really set the tone to the Nittany Lions over the course of the four quarters, four to nothing in the turnover battle, a lot of collisions, six sacks. We were kind of waiting to see Penn State's pass rush take off. It happened today. Certainly felt like Auburn's quarterback play was going to be susceptible to a spiral, and they were able to deliver that. So let me ask you, Manny Diaz, who was able to get some of those tricks out of his sleeve that I think he kept up there for matchups against Ohio and Purdue. Purdue was a tough one, but I think there were some new dynamics we saw in play. Where can this defense go, and how do you think it can factor into Penn State's ability to raise their ceiling? So I told you at halftime I was down the tunnel. I was there in or outside of Penn State's locker room. The defensive coaching staff was outside of Penn State's locker room too. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my mouth as shut as I need on this. I'll just tell you guys. When they gathered as a defensive staff at halftime, there was no animation. There was no yelling. There was just arms crossed. We're exactly where we want to be. Let's just go finish the drill. So they, they got what they expected. They were in the process of getting what they expected. And they were, they were very happy uh, with what they were getting. But it's, it goes back to what you just said a second ago. You got an identity that you hope is the identity of your team. It's the one you speak. Then when you start seeing it spoken into existence, that's when you get a little excited and you realize, all right, Manny Diaz, preview magazines would say, how long will it take? Well, the early returns are immediate. And the reason is because you don't have to bring a guy in at Penn State and then give him two years to go get his own groceries. You've got a lot of very good pieces already there. They always have. And people in coaching worlds know that about Penn State, whether uh, fan bases or preview magazines do. So when he came in, that Manny Diaz hire sent a little more ripple effect through the coaching industry than it did the general college football public. Because the college football public just looks at Diaz and says, oh, he failed. Well, he, he failed kind of. And that was as a head coach at Miami. You're bringing him into a BA defensive coordinator. That's not the reason he failed. That's the reason he got a shot to be a head coach is because he is so good as a defensive coordinator. So now... You know, they – I have so little question about them defensively. You can nitpick personnel packages here and there. But here's the other thing. To go back to that Auburn game, you know, sometimes it's commonplace for people to look at box scores if they don't know better. And they can say, well, yeah, Penn State won the game in a route, but Auburn was minus four turnovers. And they say it flippantly, like those are all unforced errors. And sometimes they are. That was not the case this past Saturday. Those were very much forced. In fact, if you go back and watch the game, a full 60, you probably find yourself saying, I can't believe Auburn only turned the ball over four times because it felt like it was on the precipice of happening about another half dozen times. So, I mean, I know it sounds like I'm so effusive, but how can you not be after you just saw what you saw this past Saturday? I think, I'm not going to say sky's the limit, my goodness, but I, I think they have a very high ceiling as a defense this year. And then you add the little caveat at the end of pretty much every sentence when you're talking about the sport as long as they stay healthy.
Yeah, yeah. And then the caveat we've been throwing in, we'll see when they play Ohio State and Michigan right. in October. And so, look, three games uh, behind Penn State, they're 3-0. and They've got Central Michigan this Saturday. They've got Northwestern uh, the following Saturday. Then they got a bye week. They come out of that bye week in October. It can, can get pretty brutal for them. We'll, we'll learn a lot. They've got at Michigan and then home against uh, Ohio State and Minnesota over the course of that month. So tell me, what's the when you look across the field for Penn State, what is the X factor or X factors that will determine if they come out of that stretch firmly in conversation and contention to be a college football playoff contender or otherwise kind of fall by the wayside? The best ones typically are teams that can run the ball when you think they're going to run the ball, and they can do it anyway. That has not been Penn State. If that is Penn State, and we have a pretty good reason to believe it is, or at least they'll hold their own in that, in that realm then they will be able to beat any of the teams you just mentioned. I don't care what point spreads say. They will have much more than a puncher's chance. Uh, when they go to Ann Arbor, they'll have much more than a puncher's chance against Ohio State at home. I don't want to overlook anyone like Minnesota. I'm just saying I know those are the two games that everyone has circled in the immediate future. If you can run the ball when they expect you to run, that's kind of what balance is. Like Sometimes when people talk about offensive balance, they think you have to wait until after the game and wait for them to hand you the, the hot, freshly printed stat sheet, and you look and you say, okay, how many yards here, how many yards there? How many plays here, how many plays there? That's not offensive balance. Offensive balance is when the other defensive coordinator is fully convinced you're willing to run it or pass it on any down. If you have achieved that, then that's balance. That's not what Penn State has been. No, no one has thought that they're willing to run the ball on, on second and nine. No one's thought that they are willing to run the ball on third and five. But if they think you are now, then you've achieved balance. If that's what we're saying about them, come Michigan or come Ohio State, then they've, they've got a shot in every one of those games. And I think we don't have to go too far back to understand none of these teams are invincible. They get built up like that every year. But also, I don't think we have to go too far back to understand how difficult it is, especially like Ohio State has to do, to come in there and play. I know a lot of people are upset about the kickoff time. I'm not one of them. I love those early kickoff times. But I'm looking forward to that stretch. And, and I also think, Tyler, whereas, whereas maybe in the, in the summer months, an Ohio State fan looked at that trip and said, good, that, that'll be a good, solid, hard-fought win for us. We'll get to go into another stadium and flex a little bit. It won't be easy, but we'll get it. I don't think they're going to be talking about that game like that come game time. I, I think it's going to be very much a, a fingernails-to-the-nub kind of week for everyone involved. Yeah, that, that October 29th matchup against Ohio State preceded by an October 22nd matchup against Minnesota. Just putting those on your radar because I know you're out and about every single weekend. I know we'd love to have you back up here in Happy Valley. Let our listeners know exactly how they can track you Saturday to Saturday. Again, you were you're at Auburn, but you will be somewhere else this week and then moving forward, and you got a pretty sweet setup. It's, it's really nice. We're really blessed to be able to do what we do here. I, look, I don't have to tell Penn State fans because I feel like every one of them already tracked us. We've got a massive following there i appreciate you guys um what we do is this sounds fake but it's real we just pick whichever game we want to go to and cbs sends it to us sends us to it every week so we'll be at florida tennessee this week beyond that i normally wait until the sunday of game week to pick so that's why i've been grinning when we're talking about these future games with penn state because there's there's not just a chance we see one there's a chance we see multiples penn state's in the running to end up being one of the most viewed teams for us on the every given saturday tour this year but I mean, what, what am I at late kick Josh on all the socials. And if you want to watch the show or listen to the show, it's the late kick. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it in podcast feeds. 
Uh, we, we talk a healthy amount about Penn State. I assume that's only going to ratchet up more and more. And I always appreciate you guys because, like you, I just wear white T-shirts as often as I can. <laughs> well, the wife and I have a nice finished basement, a guest bed down here. I thought I maybe had offered it up, but I, I guess you'll have some kind of mansion in the mountains if you make the trip up to Happy Valley with your Verbo deal. So good for you, man. We're excited for you with the season has ahead and the coverage. I uh, really appreciate you taking some time for, uh, th- for some Penn State talk with us right here. I appreciate you having me, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Huge thanks once again to Josh Pate for hopping on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hopefully we'll get him back again as the season progresses. Right now, we'll move forward and bring back Daniel Gallen because he and I were both at James Franklin's press conference along with our colleague Mark Brennan. Mark has a full video of that press conference up at Lions247.com. We continue to dissect it. One of the top takeaways here involved Nick Singleton. And quite frankly, the freshman group as a whole has been a hot topic of conversation. Uh, That's probably where we'll start. We'll continue here, Daniel, get into a little bit of a Central Michigan look. But just coming out of James Franklin's press conference, what stood out most to you? I'm going to guess it was the subject of the story that you just uh, published on our site. It's got to be the freshman. I mean, coming out of Auburn, we saw a lot of Nick Singleton, a lot of Abdul Carter, a lot of Katron Allen, uh, these young guys in big spots that maybe at the beginning of the year, we might not have penciled in this big of a role. Um, But those young guys rose to the occasion. And since, um, you know, we're we're not talking to them yet, uh, we get to talk to James Franklin about them. Um, And he had some really good things to say. I think we have to start with Nick Singleton. I just posted something on Lions 24-7 about kind of what James Franklin has seen from Nick Singleton through these first three weeks where I think it's safe to say at this point, uh, given what he did on Saturday on CBS, that Nick Singleton is, he's not just a a regional name anymore around Pennsylvania. He's not just a a big name in the recruiting circles. I think in college football as a whole, uh, Nick Singleton has become someone that you need to know um, he's become a factor. Um, and so the question that comes up with, with these young players is, is it going to change them? Does, does success change them? Uh, and James Franklin said that that's not the case for Nick Singleton, that it's the, the same guy that, that got here in January to enroll early. Uh, the players kind of give him a little bit of a hard time. They say that he has, he's no swag, all substance. Um, and Franklin joked that Singleton's probably only said 17 words. Uh, since he's since he's uh, arrived on campus. So I think a lot of that tracks uh, with, with people who've been following Singleton's career, people who talked to him during the recruiting process. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like it's, it's the same Nick Singleton that uh, Penn State was recruiting out of Governor Mifflin, even though he's the Big Ten freshman of the week, two weeks in a row, even though he scored two touchdowns in SEC country on national television. Yeah, it tracks with what you and I experienced in talking to Nick Singleton. I think the next time we talk to Nick, we'll have a lot more to, to discuss. It'll be a completely different conversation. But, you know, I got him. I t- talked about it before. I got him within a few hours of Saquon Barkley surprising him and saying, hey, you're the 2021 National Gatorade Player of the Year. And speaking with Singleton afterward, he was grateful. He was honored. But. He wasn't over the moon and he wasn't like a, a, a little kid on Christmas morning. Like you think that might be the reaction. I know you caught up with him when he was out in Los Angeles for the ESPYs. He's going to be surrounded by the biggest stars in sports from across the country, um, icons across the, the America. And he's kind of like, well, just looking forward to getting a preseason camp. And, and the fact that James Franklin's you know, m- mentioned he's spoken 17 words. I like that because it lends more credence to what we've been telling people. I think uh, from the outside looking in, you see the number one running back in the country, the Gatorade player of the year, 
guy showing up to campus. Uh, is he is he a BMOC kind of attitude right off the, the bat? Does he already put himself in those kind of shoes before he's accomplished anything at the college football level? That's not the case with Nick Singleton. I'll also say that's not the case with Drew Aller, the five-star quarterback. I, I think he was very quick to push aside the spotlight. We heard it here on the podcast during his high school career a few different times and denied Dennis Sutton on the podcast as well and, and, and since then. So they've got the makings of a really high-level freshman class, and we're seeing that play out in the football field. But I think maybe just as importantly, especially when you're talking about rotations and guys not going on to be full-time starters in their first year, there is a lot of, I guess, egos in check. And that's not always the case when you're viewing players who are at the top of their rankings, whether it's positional or national in 24-7 sports. You get some prima donna situations, but I think Penn State avoided that. And uh, I think it speaks volumes about where Nick Singleton is coming out of uh, out of that Auburn matchup. Because Keandre Lambert-Smith you know, says the same thing today. A humble, um, you know, a guy who's not not necessarily going to be opening up, uh, but he's getting there, and he certainly is comfortable. I think that's important. He's not he's not quiet and 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 you know staying off in the corner. He's comfortable. Doesn't have, doesn't have much to say. And when you're rumbling for fifty plus yards on a consistent basis, you really don't have to say much. Keandre Lambert Smith sort of just put it as does he's a freshman. Uh, when when you're fre- you're a freshman, when you're new, when you're coming into a locker room that that has some veterans in it, I think that you kind of just inherently, um, you know, take a back seat, watch, you know, speak to unspoken to. Um, and then <laughs> watch out. My cat just jumped on my keyboard and, and right up to the window worked out. <laughs> I, you know, you got to uh, go through uh, pod through adversity now, Tyler. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think Keandre Lambert Smith said that you, you see Nick Singleton start to open up, start to get more comfortable. And it's just part of being a freshman. It's just part of the process. So Maybe by the time Singleton's sophomore, junior, we see someone who's a little bit different, who's, um, you know, maybe he says, you know, 34 words instead of 17. Uh, But, yeah, I think that the early returns from behind the scenes, you always wonder, um, especially bringing in these highly regarded recruits, um, locker rooms, the the chemistry can be pretty fickle. uh, And it seems like Penn State has done a good job of, bringing in not only talented players, but the right guys that that will fit in this locker room and, and what James Franklin wants to do. The mental aspect was spotlighted with Singleton today. It was the physical development with Catron Allen, who's been his counterpart in that back, backfield as, as two freshmen. Allen, of course, coming off a matchup where he averaged almost six yards per carry against Auburn, a couple of touchdowns, his first two career scores at this level. Um, and James Franklin said that he has changed his body as much as any freshman uh, in this group. It's a huge freshman class. And Catron Allen, by the way, coming off a career at IMG uh, where he was a, a star among stars in a lot of ways, especially as a senior. So it's not like he came in as a slob. This really is impressive, I think, when you kind of uh, go through it and, and say Nick uh, Nick Singleton was was there in January. He knew what he was coming into. Catron Allen, we, everything we heard about him, he wasn't a big media guy, by the way, at all. So there wasn't a lot of conversations, but everything you heard speaking with those around him, there was a chip on the shoulder kind of circumstance. Yeah, because when you're at IMG, you don't get all the love because there's a lot of love to spread. And when you're in that backfield, you're probably sharing it with another Power 5 prospect. And when you're sharing your recruiting class as a top 24-7 prospect yourself with the nation's number one player at the position, I get why you would generate that. And I think the response for him not to just come here with the mentality he was going to work and claim a day one role, but also get himself into tremendous physical shape. And we're seeing that pay off. He is a different kind of running back stylistically 
than a lot of people anticipated. And I'd imagine the weight loss has contributed to that in a very strong way. Uh, Cal- or Allen came in at, at 225 pounds. And when, when Penn State updated the roster, I think before the Ohio game, uh, based on the flip card, he was down to 201, uh, which is a is a pretty big shift uh, for someone who came in and especially someone who came in and you knew he was going to play right away or have the chance to. You knew he had a lot of seasoning and um, you knew that he was arriving pretty not fully formed, but really in the process of his development. Um, you know, I wasn't necessarily expecting to to peg him as someone who would lose two to lose 24 pounds. Um, you know, he came in with the nickname Fat Man <laughs> and uh, James Franklin joked a little bit about how uh, that nickname doesn't really apply as much anymore. But Franklin did mention that he does expect uh, Katron Allen to, to put on some weight in the future, but it's going to be what Franklin called the right kind of weight. So that's something to watch in terms of his development. But I think I said this before, but just watching Allen run has been a lot of fun this year with the patience, the the lateral quickness that he has, the ability to find the hole, the ability to see the hole um, and get to where he wants to go, um, I think is something that we didn't necessarily see from Penn State in the fa- in the past. Just like Nick Singleton is the home run hitter that they had, um, I think Allen brings the, the right level of, of patience and vision um, that we haven't necessarily seen either. So I think Penn State's in a really good spot with these two freshman running backs. Um, you know, we'll see. Maybe this is, you know, maybe it'll be the thing where Katron Allen gets his. Nick Singleton maybe takes a backseat one week, depending on how things are going. But I think that when you talk about the hot hands, uh, like Jaywan Sider does, both of those guys came out uh, of Auburn with the hot hand. And Sider has never shied away you know, through August, even back into the spring a bit when he was talking about the impact those guys were making. He has never shied away from saying if they're ready, they're going to play. Uh, that happened very you know, from game one. Katron Allen involved on, on the game winning drive in the final two minutes at, at uh, Purdue. And then, of course, Nick Singleton back to back a Big Ten freshman of the week honors. And by the way, Allen second behind only Singleton in terms of uh, carries for t- uh, 23 of those through three games and rushing yards with 106 rushing yards uh, through those three contests. Uh, defensively, a couple freshmen that are really making their mark. Uh, one, uh, Abdul Carter filled up the stat sheet, led this team with six solo tackles, had a forced fumble, had a sack. Um, and he's a guy who even, I think the, the key thing here with Abdul Carter is he doesn't need to be registering a stat for you to notice him over the span of a play. And I know Mark referenced that a bit on our last podcast, uh, but James Franklin was asked about Abdul Carter again um, this afternoon, uh, he, as he should be, considering number 11's play. And, man, I, I, he did nothing to tap the brakes on the mounting buzz surrounding his freshman linebacker. The, the Abdul-Carter uh, hype train is really chugging along, and I think that if we keep seeing things like we saw on on Saturday, I mean – that's not going to stop. Um, I think that he's someone that we're going to be uh, writing a lot about um, as the season goes on. I know that uh, over the summer we we heard a lot of excitement about him, but at the same time it was well he didn't enroll early. He got here in the summer. Um, you know he has to make that adjustment. We have to see kind of where he is. But I guess that he arrived and he was ready, and and we've seen it from the jump. Um, so. Yeah, the Abdul Carter, I mean, his athleticism uh, gets described a lot. I think that's something that comes up a lot in terms of what he can do on the field, uh, what he's capable of. But James Franklin talked a little bit today about his approach and told the anecdote about how he went on his home visit uh, in Philadelphia. And 
uh, right inside the living room, there was a, you know, a, a weight set up. Um, right when you walk in, in. <laughs> right when you walk in on the hardwood floors uh, in the living room, it was out of the basement. Um, and, and to Franklin, that just kind of showed uh, the, the dedication that Carter had. Um, he spoke about Carter's parents as, as people that have him kind of set up for success uh, at this level. And, you know, it's, he's come in and, and he's gotten the work. Um, I think that, you know, I think it does help that similar to how uh, Singleton and Allen are is that they, they play a position where, you know, I mean, Kevon Lee started the, the first two games of the year and uh, Bill Carter's playing behind Curtis Jacobs. And so, you know, there's not that, all right, day one, we need you. It's, all right, let's see what you can do. Um, and so I think that that helps in terms of, you know, pressure and, and expectations. So um, it, it really does seem like the the sky is the limit for Abdul Carter and and what he's capable of doing. And uh, it's, he's someone where every time number 11 is on the field, your, your eyes are immediately drawn to him because of his size. And then uh, when the play starts, just that that speed, that athleticism, uh, the nose for the football, uh, it's, it's a ton of fun to watch. That's saying a lot because we've seen what less than 60 total snaps of this guy in his college career. And, and there's a lot of, of, you know, kind of mumbling about, Hey, what, what, what are we seeing from this guy? When's he going to play more? And, and the question becomes, how does this linebacker rotation, how does it tighten up? Because once you get into that October stretch and, and you've got Minnesota, Ohio state and, and, and Michigan to deal with, what's it going to look like? And, and I think who's playing in the box right now, it's Curtis Jacobs. It's Abdul Carter. It's Tyler Elsden. Kobe King, and on, to some degree, it's Jair Brown. Um, that, that's a lot of guys to play consistently um, in, in matchups, again, where we've seen Penn State historically tighten up some of those rotations, go with starters for, for, for longer stretches of the game, series by series. I guess my question is, does Penn State kind of back off that approach to make sure that they're getting all their different facets involved? and do they, Or do they see Abdul Qadr as too much of an ascending figure where maybe a veteran, it's going to cost him a little bit in the grand scheme. It's going to be interesting to monitor, but I think that Penn State is in a good spot with Manny Diaz in terms of he's shown the willingness to mix and match the personnel. Um, you know, I think we talked about it a little bit where maybe we'll see Curtis Jacobs next to Abdul Carter at some point. Um, I think last year with Brent Pry, um, they did have a good linebacking group, but it was very, very kind of rigid um, in how it was. Ellis Brooks was at the mic. Brandon Smith was at the, at the will Curtis Jacobs was at the Sam and it didn't really deviate uh, from that too much, but we've already seen these packages where, you know, Jair Brown is in there at the mic. Um, You know, we've seen Abdul Carter in there. Um, It's just kind of, it's just different. Um, And I think that if Abdul Carter makes it to the point where you can't keep him off the field, I assume Manny Diaz has an idea of how he can use him, uh, what he can do with that linebacker rotation to get, his best best players on the field in the biggest spots of the games. The other player that that is ascending, and we saw that reflected on the field on Saturday, was Denai Dennis Sutton, his first career sack. Um, he's the kind of defensive lineman uh, that Penn State has not won a lot of those recruiting battles. When a guy has Alabama and Georgia uh, as the other hats on the table, it says a lot. And so now he's on board. You've got him on campus in, 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 the, in the summer. I want to make note of that. He didn't get to campus like Drew Aller and Nick Singleton, the other five stars in January. Finished out his uh, his high school career, got here in the summer, and here he is through three games. He's three for three being involved. Clearly, I think early on you saw kind of getting his feet underneath him at this level, some of those earlier reps. Purdue is a tough game for a defensive end to face their first opponent uh, just because of that how that one was set up and structured. 
But I thought uh, it's very promising to see him in limited work still go out there, get his taste of success because he's another guy that I circle when you get to that final week or two of October. Where is he in that development? And it certainly sounds like no surprise here, by the way, if you listen to the podcast when he was on a couple of times, mentally he's in a great place and, and he's buying in. It's just a matter to me of he didn't have those 15 spring practices. So he's at a little bit of a disadvantage there. And you look historically at what Penn State's done with freshmen on the defensive line. There's not a lot of P.J. Mustafers to go through. I mean, he played as a true freshman. He played a lot as a true freshman. But a lot of these guys, uh, they've done a good job of kind of tucking away uh, and developing. But Franklin said on signing day, this is not a developmental defensive end. This is a plug-and-play kind of talent based on his physical uh, abilities right off the bat. And he's proving that thus far. But I love that they're not under pressure and he's not under pressure to go out there and be a leading force for this defense in his first September of college football because – that probably would have awaited him at certain campuses, not Tuscaloosa, not in Athens. But plenty of football teams would have put a lot more on his shoulders right off the bat, though. On Saturday, I was I was kind of bummed. I think I was in the elevator uh, going down to the field uh, or or getting to the other side of the field um, field level uh, when when he got his sack. So I got down there, found Mark, and Mark said, "Oh, Denai got his got his first sack. Did you see that?" I was like, "Oh no!" So I had to go back and find the clip and. Yeah, I think that's that's what you want to see uh, from someone. I think that when you look at the kind of the, the hyped guys uh, in this class, like we saw Drew Aller against Ohio. We, we've seen Nick Singleton uh, against Ohio and early against Auburn. Um, and then even Abdul Carter was someone that there was a lot of talk about um, in, during the summer. And, and we've seen what he can do. And so I think when you look at the that upper tier of the class, Denied Dennis Sutton was kind of the one that um, – we were waiting to see see something like this from. And I think that he was in an advantageous situation at the end of the game where uh, Auburn's in there, it's out of hand. They're just trying to do whatever they can uh, to move the ball. And he got in there and he got to the quarterback and, and he brought him down. Uh, today, James Franklin said that Denied Dennis Sutton is physically ready to play. Um, and I think, like you said, it's not having those 15 spring practices, getting used to, to the college game. I think that that's, kind of the, the next step for him um, at that position. And obviously, even if you're physically ready, I think you know going from uh, the offensive tackles that you're facing in the MIAA in Baltimore, uh, stepping that up to the Big Ten, to the SEC, even the MAC, I mean, you're, you're making an adjustment there. So I think that Dennis Sutton is someone who's going to come along uh, as it goes. Um, you know, they've put him out there. He's he's out there early in games uh, as part of that rotation. And I think that he's someone who can bring those havoc plays that they talk about that they want up front. And I think it's only a, a matter of time uh, from from what we've seen and, and what we've heard about Denai Dennis Sutton. And a quick reminder with, with Denai, he played, I think, three or four games at, as an upperclassman at the high school level because of COVID, because of an injury. So there, there was a lot of catching up in terms of just getting comfortable playing in a game again. And uh, we'll see where it goes moving forward. But but good to hear uh, on his progress and good to see him pick up that sack. Um, just quickly going through uh, some freshman notes here. I had our, our red shirt tracker up on lines 247com It's something we're doing on a weekly basis. Give you an indication at who's close to burning red shirt status, who may be being kept back from that. Uh, seven guys, though, Daniel, uh, first year players have played in all three of the games thus far. 
quarterback Drew Aller, the running backs in Catron Allen and, and Nick Singleton, Abdul Carter, Deny Dennis Sutton, defensive tackle Zane Durant, and then wide receiver Omari Evans. All of them a three for three. Um, a couple guys, a few guys have played in two games. Cam Miller at cornerback, safety KJ Winston, and wide receiver Caden Saunders. And then Vega Ione and Drew Shelton got some action on the offensive line against Ohio. So 12 total freshmen involved. Again, more than half of them are three for three in game appearances. And this is a program that burned two red shirts last year. Kalen King, Jalen Reed, that's exponentially going to be, uh, you know, that total is going to be remarkably different this year. And, and we'll see how high that climbs. I think there's an opportunity for some other guys beyond that list to maybe make a move. And bumps and bruises are going to happen. So we'll see who has to step up based on roster necessities. Uh, Daniel, uh, something else to get to before we before we shut down this podcast is we had uh, some player availabilities today. I thought Bryce Efter was a really good call. I know you did, too. He's a guy that we haven't had a lot of opportunities to speak with. And is speaking with some of those freshmen, he was giving his own story. He said, hey, I'm in year five. It took me until year four where I was truly prepared uh, to be trusted with a real role on the field and uh, kind of hearing how he's embraced not just that rotation at right tackle with Caden Wallace, but also his role as a jumbo tight end. Um, we have more of that on our, on our weekly tracker from what we're hearing in player and coach calls on our updates thread at lines 24 seven, but you were also on a call with Jake Pinnegar who really came up with an answer on Saturday. Definitely. I think that we, we talked about the, the vote of confidence and sometimes it can be a little dreaded, but uh, Jake Pinnegar went out uh, and really made good uh, on what James Franklin had been saying. So um, I think that, you know, hearing from Pinnegar was good. Um, he said that, you know, he kind of said that his performance against Ohio, I, I think he had a quote that was just, he didn't really have an explanation for it, that it was just very out of character uh, for, for what he'd been doing. Um, I feel like he was referring more to the extra point um, in that than, than the field goal. But, you know, he talked about that, you sure James Franklin said that Ohio got some good push and good penetration, but when it comes down to the kick, it, it comes down to him uh, that he said that he knows he needs to make those kicks and he's just kind of striving for consistency at this point. So um, I think that that was, that was good to hear. Um, he had that bounce back performance. He said that making that kick uh, at Auburn a 48 yarder, which is the second longest of his career um, was just felt really good. Um, and that, you know, it's something that that he can build off of going forward. Well, going forward, we're going to talk about Central Michigan. Our next episode on Thursday, we're going to do a preview and predictions piece. We're also going to jump into some recruiting conversation as the Nittany Lions get to host uh, some prospects on campus again this weekend. There's also some other things happening on the recruiting trail. So Tyler Calvaruso will join us for that. But Daniel, quickly peering toward the Chippewas a bit right now, you've had a piece up that you do on a weekly basis, uh, opposing players to know. This was a program that won nine games last year to former head coach at Florida Gators, uh, Jim McElwain running the show there. Stumbled out of the gates here early uh, in 58 to 44 loss against a ranked opponent in Oklahoma State, but then lost to Southern Alabama by 14 at home. Uh, rebounded a bit last week with their first win against Bucknell, a 41 nothing victory. But uh, now comes a true test for them uh, following that Bucknell W, a trip to Beaver Stadium. Uh, Penn State, a heavy favorite. I've seen that pushing beyond four touchdowns in some circumstances, but getting close to there and others. Um, who do we need to know about? And I guess you got to start with the running back position with this team. Definitely. Uh, Lou Nichols, the third led the nation in, in rushing last year, had more than 1800 yards, um, was just kind of a, a battering ram 
Um, Central Michigan lost a couple offensive linemen up front. Um, and, you know, they've played some some tough competition when you talk about Oklahoma State. Um, and so he, his numbers are down this year. I think he's averaging around three and a half yards per carry. Um, he hasn't quite gotten loose for, for the same big gains that, that he was last year. So I think that it starts with, with stopping the run. Um, Daniel Richardson is the quarterback. Um, he threw 24 touchdowns last year to six interceptions. Uh, I think he's thrown five touchdowns to one interception this year. Um, so he is off to a to a solid start. Um, and then James Franklin singled out. Um, I think Jalen Jalen Magui Magui. I forgot to look up the pronunciation on that, but number zero, six foot four, uh, 225 pound wide receiver. Uh, James Franklin singled him out as as a big body uh, that they're really going to have to watch uh, on the outside. So. I think that Central Michigan, there is you can see the, the outline of that nine-win team uh, that was there last year. Uh, tight end Joel Wilson also gets uh, a lot of work. I think he leads the team in catches. Um, so there's going to be some players to watch. Obviously, it seems like it'll be similar to Ohio uh, in terms of those players to watch. The guys, their counterparts are much, you know, much more talented uh, and, and much better. But you know. You know, Jim McElwain is someone who's, who's been around for a while, uh, even though it didn't end well at Florida, still won a lot of games. Uh, so, yeah, I think that you start with this offense uh, in terms of what you really nail down with what to know about the Chippewas before Saturday. And you know, Daniel Richardson, a returning quarterback, that's always something to be a bit wary of uh, from the opposing side, especially after a strong season last year. You look at what he did in the opener against Oklahoma State. Both teams went 500-plus for total yards, and he had a fantastic day, 36 of 49 for 424 yards, four touchdowns. He did have an interception, uh, but he's done it against some Power 5 competition. Um, and, and this Penn State defense, though, is going to be a tall order. We saw what they did against Auburn. Uh, but there is some firepower in that backfield. Defensively, though, man, it's tough for me to see Central Michigan coming up with a lot of answers. We'll get into this more on Thursday, but um, – I just think right now you look at the way Penn State's offense is humming. Unless they come out sleepwalking in Beaver Stadium, I, I still think this opposing defense is certainly ripe for the picking once again. Definitely. You look at what Oklahoma State did, um, and you can kind of see Penn State doing something similar um, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, the the Penn State offense <laughs> matching up with that um, Central Michigan Central Michigan defense. Um, so I think a couple names to know on the back end for Central Michigan um, would be Trey Jones, their safety. Um, and then they've got two local local guys uh, in the background, uh, the Kent brothers uh, out of Harrisburg, um, Dante Kent, James Franklin said, picked up some some honors last year as a freshman uh, at Central Michigan. And then Ronald Kent Jr., um, his older brother. Um, I'm sure that if you've Paid attention to Harrisburg. Uh, the, those names are familiar to you. Um, so it'll be kind of neat for them to have a to have a homecoming, you know, back to central Pennsylvania, uh, back to State College, and uh, have a chance to play Penn State. And and one week after that Oklahoma State matchup, uh, by the way, in, in against South Alabama, that defense gave up 500 yards again, 28 first downs. So uh, they've got quite the week of work to get ready for a Penn State team that all of a sudden has these shiny new toys involved with the process and can go long distance. So uh, we will bring another episode to you on Thursday. We'll talk about the preview uh, for the matchup. We'll give you our score predictions. Uh, and then again, we'll dive into it with recruiting, some stuff to catch up on, some things to look forward to. Uh, big thanks to Josh Pate. Have a lot of fun when he joins the podcast. Daniel, Tough act to follow, but you did a great job yourself. 
a big thanks to our producer, Lance Glenn. For now, I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast.